From American Salon Magazine and .com, I'm Gordon Miller, and this is American Salon Stories, our weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. To all of our listeners, let me say welcome to the American Salon Stories podcast. Our guest today, you know, he inspires the heck out of me every time we connect, every time I see him on stage, which by the way, has been a lot of times. He's a hairdresser, salon owner, educator, artist. He's a real leader, an icon, and and by the way, a Scotsman. Welcome to the podcast, John Paul Mitchell Systems Global Artistic and Business Director. That's a long title, Robert Chromines. I'm competing with somebody else in the company, so you get the biggest business card. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm very sort of proud to have that duality, Gordon. You have a bit of a businessman and a bit of the art side. And often people look at me, they're like, oh, there's a crazy artist. And then I open my business mouth and like, they're floored. So it's a great disguise, let's call it. I love it. I love it. And it's one of the favorite things of you, you know, for me. I, I remember years ago sitting down um, for a couple of hours and first time we really, really had a deep discussion. And I just walked away going, this is not the guy I thought you were. I, I know how brilliant you are on stage and, and what a performer and, and really, you know, profound, you know, when it comes to the hairdressing side of the business. But your deep understanding of business and, and your clear love of it just blows me away. I think it came from a, a sense of naivety. I met a little kid in Nashville this week. She's like, I just opened a salon. Any advice? I said, how long have you been doing here? I just got out of school. I said, oh, Jesus loves you. Uh, <laughs> I, where do I begin? And I felt in a couple of minutes, I gave her pretty good advice, but uh, it's just a part of the business that we tend to not get into right away. We disclaim it. We don't want to talk about numbers yet. We book three o'clock appointments. Uh, we we mix hair with 20 volume. We cut hair to 45 degrees, but don't talk about numbers. It just It's a way of looking at stuff. I'm able to study people's businesses, including my own from a distance, look at somebody's behavior and pretty much dictate what's going to happen almost like a fortune teller just by looking at the data and it's kind of like the internet getting all these crazy frequent uh, algorithms they call them uh, i look for those algorithms with laughter with an audience i look for them in the the potential of a hairdresser there's certain things i'll see as algorithms that all they got to do is amplify it through more guests and they're going to succeed and then I can see some that are doing so many guests and still not destined to succeed because the algorithm doesn't lie. So it's an interesting way to look at it. It's a great way to cross-check your business. And as I say, I, I enjoy both. I don't think I'm ready to give up doing hair. Uh, at Caper, one of the events we just did, I only did one haircut, but it was a cracker. You know, you could steal a whole show like that with one haircut. Uh, and it sometimes blows my mind. I can do what I do. I sort of black out as I do it. And then I see it later in Instagram world or whatever. And then I'm like, uh-uh, no way. So, you know, I get very lucky and I'm kind of a risk taker. And I think at the end of the day, that's what audiences want to see. Um, you can't pre-cut all day and then come up and just trim hair and think it's exciting. It's not. So I take a little risk. Sundays go ahead and I do seven. So I figured I'll get three out that you'll love. So I tend to do a little more quantity. But, you know, on that particular day, even Gene Bra, my former stage partner, said, oh, my God, to see him do that, I think Paul would smile from heaven because he was a – he was a platform artist. This guy did trickery. That's where I got it from, not using his tricks, but inspired that he cut hair with a flat top or a curved comb, a curved scissor. Uh, he also used duct tape or medical tape to section out hair. He, uh, he set hair in balloons when everybody else was using rollers and come out on stage and pop, 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 pop. 
the guy was a showman. Of course I chose him. <laughs> I had to. He had to be my mentor. Uh, so, you know, it's all just part of that little story. And, you know, I'm so happy to be in my own little movie uh, and what a life I've had because I chose to be a hairdresser. I saw you at the Midwest show, I believe, decades ago um, with Gene. Um, I, I don't remember if Paul was on stage with you at that point, but um, it was so long ago. But I, I remember, and um, I remember you were quite boyish. And if I, and I've probably seen photos since of you in a polo shirt with the, with the um, collar turned up, you know? So you, you, you were a different, um, you had a different persona, at least in terms of your image at that time. And it's amazing to have watched you be transformed over the years. Yeah, we just, one of my uh, show managers did a tape for one of my birthdays called The Evolution of the Bob me being the Bob. And you see me on stage with Paul. Uh, you see me in the history. In fact, JP just finished a beautiful movie. And um, the fact that I'm in this movie with him and Clint Eastwood's in it and all the stuff, just sometimes to be in the photograph has been kind of the, the link to my success. So I get great pride in it. And I love the audience seeing it because I think people think you just come out the womb like this. Here I am, cat in the hat. Well, no, it took years and it takes a lot of courage uh, there's times when I even my own costume has been, you know, I'm walking down the street in New York, which is a tough place to be fashionable. The people that created the village people have no sense of style. Sometimes very black and Prada. And I love Prada, but just I'm pretty weird. They clear sidewalks for me in New York City. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it took a little courage. And sometimes I'll see kids like younger kids going, I'm going to do like this. Well, you know. I have an effect on people. Clients look at me and sometimes almost wishing it's not me, that's Robert, please, this, let's say it's not him. Uh, but it's funny, I had a model pick me this weekend at the show because she said I look like a hairdresser. Uh, if I was your tax guy, you're going to jail. So the kind of point of costuming is you've got to do it with permission. It's a rite of passage, Gordon. So, you know, if a young kid comes in too funky and they're going to be my assistant for a $200 haircut, we're going to have to cover some sleeves for a bit. We're going to maybe drop a couple of piercings. And as you earn the right through reputation, I'll let you be as crazy as you think we can handle. And as long as your guests can, I'm cool with it. So, you know, I want to encourage individuality, but it comes with permission. And it's a rite of passage. Don't come out too funky too quick. Uh, it's taken me years to become this. Yeah, it even took Johnny Depp a while to become a real pirate. Uh, I just think it's an evolution. And I love people to see the historical. And people send me pictures. I think they think they're haunting me. Uh, and I look back and I just smile, you know, because I, I love the history path I've had. And I kind of feel like I've grown up in the industry here, even though I'm Scottish. I really went to beauty school in Memphis, Tennessee. You know, my teacher was at the show this weekend. I spotted her from stage and said, hey, she goes, hey, I said, what's your name? She goes, Margie. I said, Margie Flowers. And she was a great instructor. She used to hand me more tickets than any other student in school and told the audience I was doing this type of stuff when I was in school, which is an absolute lie. <laughs> but the, the reality is I did have gravitational pull in school. That's where I knew I had an effect on people. And, um, you know, so it, it does sort of start from some of the choices I made early. But when I was in the, the big team, which was Jeannie and the Chadwicks and Floyd Kenyatta, I was the baby. I didn't get to speak much. You know, I, I did most of the reality hair. I got last pick on models. I was always last to speak, but I was always the good cleanup guy. So I could always make people laugh and almost, in a sense, steal the show with a bit of humor and maybe something that was more real to the audience, not so bizarre, which is what I became a little later in life. I used to steal the show with commerciality. I used to steal the show with reality of behind the chairness. 
And that was a secret ingredient that everything else didn't matter because they had more in common behind the chair than they did about doing theatrical hair. What struck me in what you just said was the concept of self-awareness. And I don't think it gets talked about enough. And you had some self-awareness that sounds like it helped you along the trajectory that you chose in your career. And I want you to talk about that a little bit, because I think that's something so many of us are challenged with, is, is knowing ourselves and knowing our place in maybe the long term of our careers and lives. Well, you know, I think it's, it's sort of trying to be true to yourself, I think. I've always been a little strange as a you know, teenager. My mom would just go crazy, the stuff I would dare to wear. And I grew up in a very tough town. Uh, a guy in pink pants wasn't really that smart a move. But what did work with my pink pants is girls would talk to me. <laughs> so it was a beautiful thing. So I've always been a little eccentric uh, long before I went this far, but I've always been quite peculiar. And um, in fact, one of my Scottish relatives years later said, you made that weirdness pay off. <laughs> and I said, well, that's an interesting perspective. I think I got it from my mama. She always was kind of different when you walked into a room. And I went, if you know, when I think about her, she was always just sort of aloof to the crowd, just stood out a little bit more, uh, very dignified. She didn't dress crazy, but was always immaculate, always had lipstick on, always had her hair done. Nobody got to see her unless she was on show. And I don't know, I just sort of picked it up. But I remember being told on photo shoots and commercials, uh, I would go in and they would have wardrobe change me into a different shirt and take my glasses out of my hair. And I would get so upset because I would think, oh, my God, I'm not going to be there. And then one day I walk onto a, a commercial with John Paul and I go to the wardrobe department for my usual makeover. And the guy says, you're perfect. And I stole that whole commercial because I got to be me. And I think I said something like your hairdresser can do anything, make you think, make you feel like you won the lotto. They're more important than your husband because you can always leave your husband. <laughs> but this was in a worldwide commercial and I was dressed in a little leather jacket, had my shades in my head and I've seen myself once on TV and I just nearly went to heaven. I couldn't believe it because I got to be me for the very first time and millions of people seen it. And that really started the, the fuel, if you will, of being able to accelerate. I was kind of working in my own little reputation. I was no longer under the protection of the old Archie, uh, which was good as a kid. To be protected by Jeannie Bra and the corporation was a great way. And it was almost like my, you know, I passed pins to Jean for 10 years. <laughs> I was her assistant. I was the hairspray guy. So I went through a very good apprenticeship in a way, not as a hairdresser, but the love Jean used on stage, the connection between her and Paul and the love she had for that man. So it kept me very in touch with the whole spirit of the company. And I think in Paul's absence and as Jean uh, moved on to other things, I kind of took over and I still had that same feeling and I believed in it more as much as they did, I would say. I mean, I challenged their ownership. I think I own it too. Um, you know, and as I say, I'm proud to be part of this story and being committed to one company has been a nice little journey. Uh, but you know, I just think that everybody's got to find their own. I love to see, you know, we had some barbers on our stage last week and they were all suited up with ties on. I think what hairdressing is today is a lifestyle garden and that's what people need to identify with. So to be a barber, you're maybe not visualizing a Mercedes car and a white picket fence. You're visualizing a, a different way of life. And that profession can give you that financial freedom. The same if you want to be a specialized colorist, that could give it to you, session hairdresser, platform artist, educator. And I think that's where you need to sort of fit in and find the lifestyle because I think the millennials are going to look more for a lifestyle. 
They're not going to want the job we used to have. Uh, I used to work young kids years ago, 60 hours a week and call it, you know, training. Um, that doesn't work anymore. Millennials are going to want to work 30 hours. We're already trying to work on six day, six hour work weeks. Uh, I don't care how many days. I just want to show you how to do it shorter and funnier, shorter and funnier. So why go to work every day for $500 days when you could go in and really apply yourself, have a $1,000 day and work less? Uh, and that makes sense to me as an owner. It makes sense to me if you're an individual stylist. I want this for the whole industry. You know, is there a million hairdressers maybe? Yeah, just under, just under working, working. It's right around 900,000. I want a million to perform each and every guest one at a time. The principles are the same. And for me as the Paul Mitchell guy, I want to talk to the million hairdressers, not the so many thousand salons. That's not what it's about. I've always wanted to connect to hairdressers. And I think with the internet and all the things going on, stuff like this, um, you know, sometimes the product lines have kind of created these little territories that sometimes even big, big product companies like us aren't aware of other folks. You don't see, you know, you don't run into a big Aveda team at a show. You're not seeing a lot of TG except from a distance. So it is interesting to get inclusiveness with an industry, which the Internet is helping tremendously give, you know, visibility you couldn't get in the old days. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful place to be. And I think that, you know, my next role, I think, is mentoring the industry. I'm a pretty good platform artist. I can hold a microphone. Uh, a lot of kids have got talent, but to be a presenter, uh, one of my great friends, I'm going to keep him nameless. <laughs> he says, it's okay for you. You're a showman. I said, listen, not my fault. They call it a show. <laughs> call the show. And what I can do on Instagram and everything else, that's not necessarily a show. That's a moment of capture. Video is incredible. I love to make videos. So I am fascinated with the internet and fascinated on building content for it. Uh, but more importantly, watching who's really, you know, who wants it bad enough is showing me through the internet. You know, you don't tell me how bad you want my job. One day I can tell on the internet who wants my job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so no longer is it just having, you know, some skill. We want to see that you're able to communicate and you shouldn't need my permission to become a platform artist. You should already be communicating. Uh, you know, Matt Beck, he's got what, 300,000 followers. We love, we, love, we love Matt. No, so you know what I mean? I'm just saying, show me, you mean it, show me. And what I'm seeing on the internet, the kids that really want to work in this new medium. And as I say, for the millennial, which is the future of our salons, it's a big density of our palmential schools. Um, we've got to start changing the way we think about salons and working in one and start selling lifestyles, a career path with a, a very happy ending. Uh, that's what's going to keep people loyal to whatever path they choose is success. I don't know that everybody is aware that you have a unique connection for a person in your role, you know, to the deeper industry. You're the owner of a Robert Cromie's Salons and walk-in salons by Robert Cromie's in San Diego, Las Vegas, and Tulsa. Talk about a little bit about um, what's happening with you in the salons. Well, the great thing, you know, that I get to do is sometimes when I'm speaking to an audience with all my heart, all my conviction, all my authority, it comes from a place of every day looking at numbers and staff in my company to be able to get my staff to correlate because I'm not there. I'm jealous of owners that are there every day. I've got seven or eight stores around the country. There's no way I can be there. I do have a great opportunity to work in one once a month. But my job is to take kids and help sell them on this idea that they can work smarter. I had a couple of girls work for me, Ashley and Tiff. They used to be hair show junkies at the Orlando show. Uh, me and my stage partner would cut their hair. Now they work for me. They came out here, lived in a car, I think, for a few days, moved into a hostel where they shared one room together. 
did somebody's hair in the community to get some discount on the rent. And they went through hardships and they started assisting. Um, both of them are at least 150000 in revenue right now. So these kids are doing it. If you just look at the gratuity for you, those of you listening, show you how the cat in the hat works. I happen to know it's about 20%. So just on gratuities, they made about 30000 each. Do you understand where I'm going here? What I love is Tiff went to four days a week. She took a 30-day vacation in India. My pleasure of life is not standing ovations. It's watching a kid go through the adversity being a hairdresser to get into the accomplishment of being free to do what you want. Zig Ziglar used to say, if you do the things you ought to do, the day comes, you get to do what you want to do. That's what I want for every hairdresser. That's what I definitely want for my staff. And I want to build more flexibility into that. So I'm trying to be the bus driver, not the boss driver. I want to give them their dream. Not everybody should come work for me. I am a performance guy. I want to give you what you say you want in the interview. You want to succeed. This is the DNA of how we help you do it. And if people are prepared to listen and get on with it, I think they're going to be very, very successful. Uh, turnover in the business happens, whether people are moving to independent status. It's kind of like your girlfriend didn't call you back. She started ghosting you. What were you doing? So when a, lo- a salon loses, whether it's me or anybody else, you've got to ask yourself, what are we not portraying in our career path, the added value? Um, you know, we feel we can build a young hairdresser's life over five years to a capacity of seventy-five to a hundred thousand and take-home pay. That is not an unrealistic dream, and that does provide quite a lifestyle. And if you apply that to Oklahoma or Oklahoma City or anywhere else, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. So, you know, for me, I want to be the example. Somebody asked me recently, what keeps you humble? It's the salons that keep me humble and real. Another friend we both know remains nameless. You don't need the salons. Oh, you're so wrong. I need the salons for credibility. Too many people talk on a microphone about business and they have no authority. Every day I went through it. And not only have I made millions, I've lost millions. Who better to ask than the cat in the hat, the not so mad hatter? <laughs> um, so I love coming from that position of knowing. And right now we're putting such an emphasis on certain things in our company all inspired by numbers, which is not the way my inspiration used to come through. Seeing I can make an impact on 20,000 guests by suggesting treatment on every single guest. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing. Talking about we love referrals, we put a huge impact on getting recommendations from guests who love us. If we've got 20,000 guests a year coming in, they must have friends. So we talk about technology. We ring like everybody, Gordon. I ring light one of my clients who's got more hair on her chin than I do. Uh, <laughs> she, it's not about publish or the post. It's like Starbucks calling your name. Gordon, your Frappuccino's ready. Out of my way, out of my way. My frap is ready. It's the name game. And what I love about a ring light is it puts a personal touch to everything. And let's say the client loved her hair. You have photographic evidence. Uh, one of my favorite guests Came in, she's 75 years old, she wears Birkenstocks. I consider that a form of contraceptive. I know you like that. Uh, For me, she's amazing. Used to come in once or twice to get ready for a wedding. Uh, Then got her frequency visit up to four times a year. This lady's a retired kindergarten teacher. And the last time she was in, we ring-lighted her and she got so excited. I don't think anybody's taken her photograph in years. And she left me and said, I'm going to come back now. My husband said, it's okay if I come in six times a year. And she's getting a $200 haircut. This poor old lady's spending $1,200 a year for an experience at our salon. That's part of it. The press coffee, 
the ring light, making a big deal, knowing her name, making her feel, lighten her up every time she comes in. I don't think she ever feels as much love as she receives when she comes into our store. Every client deserves that. So how we're paid, get over that, everybody. Um, you know, we've got people just starting to realize there's an independent industry. Everywhere I have salons, there's always been independent markets. Uh, Vegas is filled with, uh, we call it freelance. San Diego, big freelance town. So it's just part of the business. So people are going to work it in different ways. Turnover is part of the beast. And getting people, uh, one of my friends said, as long as you're training people, you'll never need staff. And I think that's a part of what we're looking at. We've got these great Paul Mitchell skills, uh, kids that are serious about doing something with it. Like I was when I was in beauty school, I'm the guy to come in. Don't date me, marry me. I'm not the guy to date, you know, get this on my resume and people have, and I'm not the outlet for stage. If you do all the things you're capable of in the salon, I'll get you a stage. Too many people are getting the stage without doing it. And just because you got a lot of likes on Instagram and you're popular doesn't mean you're getting paid. So my Mary Coma, my fiance, she's not here right now. She is a remarkable person to have a mentor with because when she's in there, she's doing $1,200 days. She does all the crazy color and shows and her clientele is about gray coverage and highlights. So yeah, she does a few of the crazy colors, but that's not always what it's all about. So picking your mentors wisely, not just crazy dudes like me, but realistic colorists, realistic people making a living uh, are great targets too to have as, you know, great people to be mentoring. Uh, one of my team members, Anya Seeger, she has an average ticket of $243 a guest. So whether you're an independent freelance hairdresser or working at commission, that is a nice average ticket. And with a few of those, you don't need to work long days. Nobody wants to work long hours anymore. And I just think that's what we got to start to do is think a little smarter, have fewer clients with more meaning. I think that's a quote from Jerry Maguire. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> so how important is um, setting expectations for yourself, which kind of relates to goals maybe a little bit, um, but also patience. Talk about patience, because I think today, no matter what our ages are, I think we've lost that patience. And from a career perspective, what's your take on it? Five years ago, I'd give you a different response. Today, I'm going to use the numbers. The average retention of guests after five visits is one in 10. Okay, so that is, that's a hardcore fact. So for me to get 100 clients, I got to touch 1,000. You see why it becomes so slow? So what we're talking about is let's retain clients like I retain ice cream. Let's touch every client and keep them. And that's so easy to do when people want simple things. And if you do a great consultation and you give them the right things and get them involved, teach from the heart, why wouldn't you have a client for life? That's what we're talking about here. And I think it starts from being a, a clear communicator. So first thing a kid wants to work on is really making sure every guest that they touch, they keep because you don't, you know, it's hard enough to get them. But if you're losing them at one in 10, that is a terrible thing. Now, somebody may plug in the computer. What's my retention? It may say today, 97. Look after the fifth visit and see where you're at. That means after five, I'm now disappointed in the results. So that number as an industry is something we got to get rid of. We got to keep every client. We got to be, you know, touching hearts and souls. Not everybody wants a crazy mohawk. A lot of people just want simple, natural hair. So we can be all things. No one great, long, sexy haircut and succeed if that makes you happy. Um, so, you know, the data is the key. So what I want to see a kid do, and even when I talk to the schools, if you have an average ticket in school of 41 and bigger, come see me. Because see, even performance of school attendance, if somebody said it took me, you know, three years to go through day school, I know they won't be a great employee because <laughs> they had a lot of days off. Well, we so develop, an average, we, and we develop habits, right? Exactly. So school is the place to apply it. 
But I tend to look and gravitate to the kids that get the idea of performance. And if they are already thinking of performance, this is the key to the getting the, the dream they want. And I'm prepared, like a lot of big owners like me, after five years, you get to create your pretty much the way you've done it because you've you've served as you've 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 done the rite of passage. And now you're at the place I want you to do it in less and less time and have the, the dream life, have some kids do whatever you you see as your lifestyle. And I'm going to adapt to that. Uh, it comes with rite of passage. You don't hire in and say, oh, have six days off. But once you put your time in and honor the business, I think you, you should slow it down, slow it down so you can be nice to people every day. Five day work weeks. You're lying if you love all your clients that much. Um, you know, three days, you could be sweet to people and you think to yourself how many times you're in there and you know you're not liking people anymore. So don't risk burning out in the industry. You know, try to form a relationship with each and every guest. We talk about haircut, color, treatment. You get those three things on each guest. You don't need a lot of them. You don't need a lot of that to multiply to a very successful day. Um, you know, I actually only cut hair, but I do it in a back-to-back -back formation. So I have a $2,000 day on $200 haircuts. That's a pretty easy day for me. Uh, I couldn't do it back-to-back, -back, I'll be honest with you. If they said work two days back-to-back, -back, I'd have to lay down. But that one day, I love it. It's a beautiful thing. I feel more on pressure because people are watching me in the salon and making sure I'm performing and selling. And I create magic everywhere I go. I'm just saying that is the being Robert Cromines is the toughest for me right there. That's what I get nervous about, getting ready, putting my shirt on, walking in the doors of my business and being the powerful example, which is what a lot of owners need to own up to. If you don't step it up, they can't step it up. They only see your life through you. I get a new car, they get a new car. If I ain't living it, aren't doing it, ain't hitting the take-home numbers, not hitting the ticket, and saying, well, I don't want to stand out, well, take your name off the door. <laughs> it's the responsibility of an owner to set it. Anthony Whitaker, a great coach I love, you know, you talked about names. It's not a, a beauty shop, it's a business. And the quicker we can think about it, and if you're a freelance hairdresser, well, it's your business. So the things that apply to my staff apply to you. Uh, the values I add to that, I think, are very different. I am going to add value. Uh, we have five elements in our store, starting at a $42 haircut up to $142. We move you through that. So I have the ability to change your value, just like real estate. So that's something that we believe because I can take your value to such a level uh, that you probably may not want to do independently. You may not feel comfortable. Who's going to give you a raise? Who's going to take you home? Who's going to book your appointment? So I try to show as an owner, these are the values. We have an incredible, dangerous reservation team working for you every single day. We've got manpower applied to the business to help you apply treatments, colors, take things down, help you on a blow dry. That can really help take some of the edge out of the day. So what owners like I have to do is add more value. What are we doing to add as much value? I've got a little scheme right now on a take-home number initiative. If they hit it, I buy them free lunch. And it's a number divided into the profit that I would need to pay my rent with retail. And when they hit that number, any salon, and it's different numbers each store. Meaning if you were working in Beverly Hills, you would expect to pay more than if you were working in another part of town. So the reality is... Every salon's got a different goal. Vegas is killing it. They're eating on me every day. Different stores doing good. Downtown's got a huge number, so they've really got to step it up. But feed the people. Does that make a difference? Hairdressers eating over a trash can? Yeah. Something as simple as a free lunch uh, could make the difference. That's what the culture is. So culture is the key. We, we have got a growing culture. We want to succeed, and we want people to get to that end result, a lifestyle of being free. 
Uh, a lot of kids in my salon are tattooed, green hair, purple hair. We've got unicorners there. Uh, we we kind of got it all going on, and I love the industry right now. What keeps me young and vibrant is this. Uh, my fiance, I won't disclose her age, but she thinks about how young these kids are. Um, this is the second chapter in the Robert Crumings culture. Um, there was a first chapter, and that's all turned and pollinated into new salons that represent Paul Mitchell. And that's the beauty of the beauty business is the evolution. And, um, you know, as I say, we're committed to it. And I'm, I'm, as I say, proud to be a salon owner. I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's for everybody. Uh, just because you're an awesome hairdresser doesn't mean you're a great owner, because to be an owner, you got to be a leader. You've got to be prepared to stand up in front of your crew all the time and talk about the vision and where you're going. you got to motivate them. And in some cases, balance the checkbook, all things you're not good at. So I'm just saying often the best situations of salon success are partnerships. But what I would use is my example, Gordon. I don't own a shampoo company. I sure do work for one. And I get almost every benefit you could have in the world as if I was an owner, just applying my talents to this great organization, being part of something. Uh, I think kids that value my company and corporation and our end career path is owning a store with us. So I want them to love me so much that one day they want to own a business with me and I want that business to succeed. So being part of something is what we're selling. I think getting ownership of something for the future if I multiply. What a great way to know I could open a thousand salons because I have a thousand hairdressers that used to work for me that have partnered with me. And to see them making a living would make my little heart smile. Uh, my legacy is the salons, but I'm just saying it's not for everybody. And it's not just something you do without thinking about it. And uh, at least uh, researching it long before you try it, not researching it once you're in it. And if we if we do the math, and I'm sure you know this, and you talk about your, your stylist, but the average numbers, I would argue that, that we're pretty confident when we say there are more hairdressers making great livings than there are salon owners across America, that a lot of people have chosen to be salon. And I'm talking about average numbers. So there's a lot of average salon owners out there who took that big step and are actually making a lot less money than they perhaps would have had they stayed, been focused on just building their career behind the chair, doing what they're really good at. One of, one of my jokes is, you, you know, you're looking at the owner and thinking they got a new car. You just don't realize they haven't made a payment in three weeks. <laughs> Um, see your pot committed. If you have a slow month, you have a rainstorm, a snowstorm, the landlord didn't go, I'm going to give you a day off for snow. That's going to reduce the three days you had, the days that you were hitting and five. Suddenly you're in trouble here. Who's going to make up the difference? Nobody. You are. So some owners end up working for a living, getting become a slave, often they're the top earners of the salon, compensating for some of the shortcomings, sometimes outperforming the bottom stylist by 10 to 1. So that's where you, first of all, as an owner, have to step off your plate a minute and work with them. Like a learning leader in school works with 16 future pros. That's like having 16 people work for you. So less on your highlight, more on here's them. Work with them. Develop your team. Develop your team. And, you know, as I say, being an owner, uh, I think I see owners all the time that can do it beautifully and have done it successfully, but it's not the norm. Uh, they become trapped. Then they feel in a position with a gun to their head that the employees pretty much have them. And, you know, they're doing them a favor. And I just think that's because you haven't identified the reasons you work here. I, I would ask myself as an owner, why would I work here? And if that comes up like crickets, 
Um, what can I tell you? A couple of ways you can really add value. If I was going to open a salon, the best way I can tell you to add value to every employee is make sure it had a good walk-in count, 20 to 30%. Vegas gets even bigger than that. So I've always got a, a growing crew out there because the traffic dictates it. Six, 7,000 clients walk in a year. Uh, the McCormick's Visible Changes, they have as many as 6,000 a week in one of their stores. Uh, so a young store, if I was going to look at it, I think Starbucks, I'd put it in a place where I knew I was going to get walk-in traffic. Because without the walk-in, you may not have the food supply to help a kid grow. And if you teach them how to retain, then helping them grow is going to just take a few months and suddenly you've got retention, you've got stick, you've got a growing business. So I tend to look for our new locations for a good footprint, not an offbeat place. Now, offbeat often is the lowest rent. Uh, they, you know, I had a salon that said uh, it was a drive-by neighborhood and we had one walk-in and he did take the register. So the reality is when you go off the beaten trail, it may be very inexpensive in rent, but if it comes to adding value to hairdressers, you're going to have to find other ways. So it could be free lunch, it could be cake every day, could be a higher commission scale or whatever deal, but a white elephant that's a little off location won't help you build, especially if you're starting with young staffers. If you want people with the reputation to come with you, well, shame on you. If they've already got a business in town and you're taking it over, I don't know. It will come back and get you eventually. I've been an owner for 25 years. It goes up and down. Uh, it's... Uh, it's the pursuit of a happy business, and it doesn't just plant itself and stay consistent. From remodels to turnover to new staff, staff having children, there's so many bumps in this road that can hit you just like it hit me. So I just say build your own, uh, train your own staff, and then know that you're building a culture. Uh, I'll take an out of uh, you know, a licensed hairdresser from another state. I don't think there's anything wrong, but I don't want your clients. So the reality is there, I take a hairdresser and take them on a career path, but not with guests. So San Diego, if you work in my town, I love you, but don't come ask me for a job. Uh, the same for Vegas. It's just one of those things. We don't cross that line. So when I ask people, I'm opening a salon, who's coming with you? Go, oh, I've got all these people I work with. Oh, danger, Will Robertson, danger. They jump with you. They may jump again. And I've seen it again and again. Um, you know, it's like the first mutiny and then there's chapter two and three because they move on again. What makes you think you could do it better than me? What would make you think? I'm just saying to make it a happy place is not just my responsibility. It's up to the team. Uh, I want happy hairdressers. Happy hairdressers make happy clients. It's that simple. And, you know, that's got to be in fuse and every culture I have from Oklahoma City all the way to Vegas, they're not all the same cultures. They're similar. Two things, one fast and then one I want to go deep with you. And one is just kind of riffing off the of the incentive. I love the free lunch idea. And it, it made me think you mentioned the independent movement. And and I can think of a lot of salon owners who who may not grab onto that brilliant idea. And so I so it makes me think about, well, what about self-incentives? You know, what what about me setting my own goals and saying, I get a good lunch today if I hit certain numbers and maybe, maybe I maybe I don't, you know, any thoughts about motivating myself? We use technology, obviously. We're partners with Paul Mitchell Millennium. I use an app called Zizor. Uh, this gives me total visibility. So we've got seven, eight stores. Uh, i got a couple of hundred staff. But I can acknowledge, just imagine right now, Gordon, you work in one of my stores in Oklahoma. I look at these numbers and say, Gordon, congratulations. You're top in take home today. I do in the same sentence. I go to another employee. So far this week, Jane, you are number one in take home sales this week. So I can tickle three of my kids, give them a bit of lovery to make them see the value 
how you're in performance. So we use a lot of uh, indicators. We use a lot of self-confidence. We're giving everybody a nudge. So that was just on take home. I could then go to average ticket. I could then go for how many clients. I can give all my clients a little, all my staff, and they have visibility to every performance in the company, including mine. So they know sometimes people in other salons that are kicking ass and they're congratulating one another. So it's a coaching tool. So I would just say to be self-motivated, look at it. Let me go just the basic way. If I know for a fact in our salons, we see 20% gratuity. If I decided a free lunch for me was I needed this much, I know what a $500 day is going to give me. Uh, so I can already set myself a goal. What Zizor does, which is quite simple, is red or green. If you're below your goal, it's red. Until you hit your number, it turns green. So it's a beautiful sort of red light, green light. So everybody pretty much is performing, is looking to hit that green, hit that green and make a big difference. And if you can do that on all the different indicators and it has seven or eight I can look at, they're going to succeed. They don't need much coaching. And when I look at that all stores and I see green all the way down, my little heart smiles. We know what we're doing. And that's not always the case. Sometimes I want to throw it up against the wall. But if it's going to feel like that, then there's got to be something broken. So then we go back to the beginning and see what it is. So I think being realistic Keeping score, you do more. So for me, if I'm an independent guy thinking about it, I'm going to write down cost, what I've done. I'm going to make reminders next week. Gordon's going to a bar mitzvah. Remind me to ask him how that was. I'm going to do a lot of things on that note keeping so that it gives me tabulations on numbers uh, and that I have a better account of things because I think a lot of hairdressers are na naive to it because they're not really handling the tickets. So they don't really know about it and they just sort of hide behind it. And yet the more they fall in love with the scorekeeping, they're going to see if they do, if they keep score, they do more. It'll multiply. And I just love that. And just being conscious of it will absolutely improve it. Some people will see their remark, see their number and they'll go, I didn't know I was doing so good or I didn't know I was doing so bad. Or you may be killing on one, but then really killing on another that's hurting your career. So when it comes to retention, I pay a lot of attention to that. When it comes to new requests, if 3% of your business is new requests, I know that something's not going on in what you're doing because nobody's talking about you. So these numbers are really interesting things. So if I was thinking of how do I build my business, I want to see 20% of my clients being new guests. What a target to have. If it's a Five client day, one and five, two and five. If you can start making those numbers happen, your business will grow so fast, it'll defy gravity. Because with an increase of 20 or 30% new request, you will actually double and triple your business every five months if you kept them all. But Robert Cromie's helped change the way we talk about this industry, the way we talk to clients, the way we talk as owners, you know, to staff and vice versa, the way people speak from the platform. I mean, you've had a profound impact, I believe, on the language of beauty. And um, I, I want to hear your thoughts on that. And where does some of that come from? And was there an evolution of how you think about words? And 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 first and foremost, how important are words? And talk about some of that. Well, you know, it, it kind of hit me first time naturally. I came up with concepts in my salon. For an example, the first salon I opened, I called it Wash House because I wanted to make a bigger deal about shampooing hair than anything else. And we started building this remarkable business just on giving a shampoo that you couldn't believe. Later, we joke about it and call it Sex in the Sinky. It's not far off of that. Forget you, Herbal Essence. So as I kind of built the salon, I love this concept of Wash House. As I moved it forward, 
we had an opportunity to open a store in Vegas and I was building the store and I was thinking of all the ideas and obviously we built the wash house in. Um, I had made a sort of clerical mistake and forgot to build an office and really had forgot to build a color place. So we come up instead of building a dispensary, I said, I'm going to put it out front where people can touch it and feel it. Inspired by a Mac makeup store where I'm in the store looking at it and going off, oh, you could just touch and feel that. I could see women hiving to get the touch and feel of it. So I thought of kind of open air stadium where you mix the color in front of the client, almost like a Caesar salad. And then suddenly we had an experience. No longer were we just doing color. Now, I got to go back. We used to color hair behind a curtain because people weren't allowed to see it. And it was Nicholas French's father, Freddie French, that was one of the first guys to bring it out front. And once people seen it, they asked for it. So we go into this color bar. There's no mirror. So first of all, clients relax. We have this incredible consultation with them. And then suddenly we're in this new experience because as they see me mixing and blending and doing all the things, they're oohing and on. First of all, recognizing my professionalism, uh, this is a game changer. This is a game changer. So color bar as a concept did come out of my little lips first. In fact, uh, Paul Mitchell and I actually co-own it, <laughs> the term color bar that everybody uses every single day. No way. Um, and I even had a lawsuit with a major company, one of the biggest in the world. That's all I'll say, uh, which they did not win. So the reality of color bar, uh, there's other things we kind of put in the stadium, but Words are everything, and they didn't come naturally. Steve and Terry Cowan uh, had a huge effect because they seen the genius that I had put in, and they were kicking themselves going, how did he come up with Wash House? How did he come up with Color Bar? And as we're there, we're looking at our retail products, and she said, we got to do better than that. You're Robert Cromings. And she says, what about At Home or Take Home? And I said, Take Home by Robert Cromings. So suddenly we had another system that's in every school that we've made. So we got take home, we got wash house, we got color bar, we got tool bar. So we created stuff. Um, we had a huge hand on the TZ highlight. I've been doing this thing called a TZ haircut for years, uh, inspired. And I see everybody doing teasing and doing things. And I just know we had a hand in that. And, you know, somebody asked me recently, Gordon, about the color bar. How do you feel that everybody's ripped that off? I said, Vidal never felt ripped off. When you're a visionary, you're just going to put shit out there. And I am happy to give the industry every idea, every inspiration, everything that can make you dream because I'm not going to feel at the end of that I've been betrayed. I think I've been honored. For everybody that has a color bar, everybody that's celebrating color every day, I congratulate you. Um, you know, so to me, everybody that makes a bigger deal in the sink. So uh, we call it now the indulgence of water. One of my friends called it a lather lounge. We can have fun with words. We become dull. We, we got carried away between highlight and low light was the sexiest we got. What about J-Lo light? Sounds much sexier. So words is where our authority come from and finding new words is something Terry and Steve said, you got to keep looking for them. So sometimes I'm stealing from movies and lines. Um, sometimes I'm just crafting it based on the objective. Um, and I love to come up with ways to make things stick in your mind. We have a color product called ultimate color repair, uh, makes color last up to nine weeks. Well, that's the propaganda on the box. I'm not going to walk up on stage in front of 3,000 hairdressers. So instead I said, um, a cat has nine lives. So the audience, uh, a stitch in time. And on some of them, I would explain what they meant. 
uh, when somebody tells you, you you look like uh, dressed to the nines, that's because it used to take nine yards of fabric. So I just keep playing. I go, in the 12 days of Christmas, nine what? Girls are dancing. And then what was the one I finished on? I don't know. But either way, I put the number nine in their head. That's my job. And by using words, and unfortunately, not a great example today, fewer words, uh, you can just be deadly with what we say. It's not that hairdressers don't use the right words. They tend to use too many. And I no longer know what you're saying. And now I'm confused and you're sort of confused. And that's why I believe in a picture. That's why if you say short bangs, is this short bangs or is this short bangs? Is the bob here short or there short? I think it's very, very much important. So, um, you know, the books and the ways that we start to use our memory to give even more service. So when somebody returns, they really feel like a return guest instead of getting to know you all over again. And, you know, I think it's a big part of it. The words we use, one, I was putting something together for the team for a, a new launch we have. And I had to go old school because, because you blow dry your hair every day, I recommend neuro liquid style. Um, you know, so just getting into what you hear in a consultation, there's words. Uh, one word that we've been using right now, teaching artistry. It's where you teach from the heart and get a client involved with the blow dryer, with the gel, with the dough, get their hands in it. And you're going to see your take home results increase. So to me, I'm a pioneer of the hair industry, as Vidal was in a very different way. Vidal loved me and he loved me for my showmanship. I don't think he ever analyzed one of my haircuts, uh, but he mostly loved my mouth. He mostly loved how I worked my words. And that's truly what I loved about him. He was a craftsman. And especially when you hear him speak, he was just the best wordsmith I've ever, ever heard. So, you know, the people I follow, people I pay attention to, you know, have that gift. John Paul's a great communicator. Paul was a kind of James Pond character. He could, he was very dignified, had a power. Uh, so I look for that. I look for that. And I look for it in platform artists, people that have that voice. And it's not a natural given thing, I don't believe. I think it's something you acquire through experience and through research. Uh, one of my favorite internet things, if you take from one, you're stealing. If you take from many, it's research. <laughs> right now, we have the opportunity to research every person on the internet, every public speaker from TED Talks to, you know, there's a million places to go here. Every day I'm scrolling through, finding ideas that inspire not just hair shows, but but thoughts, you know, thoughts or sentences or you know, you don't have to be a creator. You just got to be a guy that can see it. Uh, I'm sitting right now in a little place I call my library. Salvador Dali had this crazy mustache and he said he had it because those antennas would help him see things other people didn't see. It's right there. I just choose to look a little harder than some folks. And, um, you know, that's the kind of point of it. I'm the curious cat, I guess. I, I, and I love, you know, our, our audience is, is listening to us. They can't see us. I can see you. We're Skyping. Um, and, and, and Salvador Dali is behind you with his mustache. And, and you, see, you seem to have put his mustache on your chin. I'll tell you a little something I love about Dali that not a lot of people know. Uh, when he was a little kid, he would sit in a room all alone and repeat his name over and over again because he loved the sound of it. And that tells me a little thing about a lesson of self-love. You got to love yourself. You got to believe that. Uh, I am still tickled pink. I get to be who I am in the beauty industry that people will take a picture or want to have a picture with me. Uh, you know, I, I got pretty famous long before there was Instagram. Uh, right now, I love it as a vehicle and a tool, even for me. Uh, I have now a platform beyond the ones I've been working with for the last 30 years. In my career, I've flown about 6 million miles. 
Um, I've done a lot to get the reputation and I don't think the biggest part of me is done yet because of things like this and what we're able to do now with the internet and what we're doing as a company, given everything, a global kind of spin that when we launch here in Vegas, it's kind of happening throughout the world simultaneously. Uh, you know, there's no distance anymore. And uh, I love that. And I love as a way of being able to communicate. Uh, I want to help hairdressers realize their dream. And, you know, people that see companies out there, everybody wants to sell shampoo. I get it. The only thing I know about my two guys is they're not really motivated by the dollar bills. Um, they're kind of beyond that now. It's kind of the purpose. Right now, we feel we're building a legacy company. So we're trying to do all the things now that are going to matter to the next generations of, you know, uh, John Paul and Angus's family because it's locked into a 350-year trust. So I'm happy to be in this kind of movie. I wish my mama was still alive to see me and Clint Eastwood in the same movie. It's called Good Fortune. It tells his story from rags to riches. It shows you the first introduction of Patron Tequila with Clint Eastwood. Clint talking to a terrorist, drinking shots of Patron. It's the first time it had been seen. And then you see, you know, the success of it. Uh, but you also see the hardship John Paul went through, which a lot of people may hear him talk about, but this movie portrays it so well. And, um, you know, anybody watching this movie is going to think of our company differently. They're a different type of group. Uh, I've been lucky enough from beauty school when I knew nothing to make a choice to be with them when they had five products. And now I'm part of the story that will make platform artists in our company have to step it up for generations. I would like the Colonel Saunders and the chicken. I am the benchmark. And I think for a lot of platform artists, I love being the benchmark. When I was a kid, I look at it as a mentor, perhaps. Some of my guys were targets. There's no doubt in my mind I was targeting certain artists that were above me, knowing that one day I could do that and probably could do it better. I hope you're looking at me the same way. Uh, because to me, you've got to see people like guys to know that you can become one. And it's when I started seeing guys like Paul Mitchell, uh, he made me feel I could do what he did. And if that's what you feel when you hear me or see me, um, I love being misunderstood. I do a big show. Uh, it's called for sport clips or big, big customers of ours. It's called the huddle. And when I go in, all these guys don't own, you know, they're not hairdressers. They're all types of business guys that own stores and the first time they got their eyes on me, they didn't know what to do. And then they hear me speak and they said, oh, my God, we were so wrong about you. I love changing people's minds, uh, defying that kind of character. So it's a kind of good position. But being true and loyal and being part of something, I think that's a big part of who I've become. And it's a big part that I want everybody to think about as they start forming a career path through the industry. Uh, better to cross a bridge than to burn one. And uh, too many people burn too many bridges too quickly. Um, you know, I'm just saying it's about the long haul. If you really want to be part of the beauty industry long term, um, I'm, I'm kind of like the Rolling Stones. I'm not giving up quite yet. I'm not done. Uh, but as I say, I look forward to seeing the talent. I love watching the talent too, not just the stuff in our own company, but uh, when I get to do some outside events, I am watching, I am watching, seeing what they're all up to. And I keep a good eye on the internet. So <laughs> I got an eye on everything here. I would rather get in the Starbucks line at a beauty show than the Robert Chromine selfie line. Wherever you are, there's a lineup, you know, for selfies. And again, it speaks volumes about the impact that you've made on so many lives from pre-internet until today. Um, so so uh, always always fun to see and, and to watch. Somebody's, most people won't hang with me because of the line I create. And sometimes I'll see a line and think it is for the bathroom, but it's for me. <laughs> but 
it's part of, you know, the, there's a, there's a humility to it. And I think that when we started doing it and me and a couple of other team members, even though other people could be on our stage, not everybody wanted a photo with them. And I always thought that was weird. What were we doing that was different? So I think it's letting yourself be approachable. And a lot of people are surprised by that. A lot of people judge me from a distance, get on an elevator. Then I say something sweet and charming. They go, oh my God, I was so wrong about him. Uh, you know, don't judge a book by the cover. You could be wrong. But for me, I just felt like it was a big part of, you know, I remember probably clearly when somebody asked for a picture of me, I was devastated. I couldn't believe it. Um, but we make a big deal about it. And um, I would say there can be many hairdressers that don't have a snapshot with me. I'd love to say they're all customers. Not the truth. We're inclusive. I've taken pictures with everybody. Uh, also, a lot of platform artists in the industry. If I'm walking around, I stop at this. Uh, for me to walk through Chicago or New York, it could take a while. Uh, I was once hanging with Vidal Sassoon and some kid come up and asked Vidal to take a picture of me and them. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty interesting. I said, if you only knew, if you only knew, uh, and as I say, I think it's a big part of it. At Caper, I think we took two and a half thousand pictures. Angus took 5,000. Uh, it's important to JP at every event that he gets photographs with the people. Uh, it's their take-home item. And, uh, you know, as I say, we take it. I know other guys that do my job leave through the back door. That's just not my style. Um, I want to leave through the front of the house and I want to take some pictures and be good with it. I have fun with it. I tell jokes. I make people laugh. I don't. It, it's part of it. Uh, and if I didn't want to do it, I'd leave through the back door like other folks do. Well, and it's just like, um, and again, I'm going to go to my next question, but I have to say first, um, everything you do, everything you talk about, again, I think is transferable to the salon. You know, we want to know our hairdressers. We want to hang with our hairdressers. We want you to look like you're in the fashion world. We want to, you know, we want to see that lifestyle. So much of what you said today on so many levels and talking about other parts of the industry and other parts of what you do, they're directly applicable to being great in the salon. Absolutely. Of course I dress up to go to work and so should everybody that comes to my business. If you're trying in the salon, I work out to serve as a $140 ticket average. You better look appropriate. Uh, Carol Phillips talks about lipstick increasing a woman's authority by 30%. I think it's very important that we walk the talk. And for us, uh, we're quite image conscious here. We've got a dress agreement where we all as a team agree to look a certain way. And I can't say everybody complies every day, but I think it's the least. I want people to come into my business and recognize who works there. So I don't want it to be a hodgepodge of different dress codes. I think it's very important that we recognize the client. I hate to go to restaurants where the hostess gets to wear whatever she fancies. And I don't know if she works there. Um, at least the guy that's waiting on me has a dicky bow and a white shirt on. Uh, it's a big part of it. So for me, there's reasons why dressing up to go to work is good. Your clients dress up to come see you, Gordon. So it's a way of doing business. And I think if we're in the beauty business, we got to walk the talk. Now, there's other salons and cultures, like I mentioned, Sport Clips. Their whole operation is built on comfort, soft floor, wearing sneakers. And I think if that's what you're into, you do it. But either way, you're going to conform to the dress agreement. And I'm not here to tell you what one you should pick. You've got to pick the one that speaks to your heart, Daddy-O. Because so I should, which company should I go to? Well, it was easy for me. It spoke to my heart. And if it doesn't speak to your heart, I'd say be cautious of that deal. You may regret it later. Uh, be patient. It'll come when it should. It doesn't come overnight and it doesn't ever come when you want it, ever. Uh, I've been wanting it my whole life. Only now can I look and go, oh, wow, I got it. What was I thinking? But it comes down to one thing and all the things I've got to do, the thing that defined me was going to beauty school and, you know, to see my whole life. You know, I was in Israel a few weeks ago. I mentioned uh, we went to Tel Aviv. I, I, we were like, hey, we're going to 
Jerusalem. We're going to Nazareth. I'm like, oh, Robert of Nazareth, yay. Um, who would ever imagine by going to beauty school that I would get to travel the world and do all these things, be photographed with hairdressers, make hairdressers smile and love. Uh, after the show, they said they'd never seen MD on stage like me ever that smiled so much. Really? That's what it takes. The brand is about a smile. It's about being nice to people. I mean, I hate to be so casual about it, but that's, it's, it's truly, if you love it, tell your face. If you're really in love with it, let me feel it with every pore of you. Uh, the mentors and the visionaries I hang out with, there's never a dull moment with them. They're everything you see uh, and they're everything they pretend to be. So, you know, be authentic, be real and make an impact on the industry. And, you know, I promised my skill teachers I would honor them more than any kid did. I hope everybody in the industry who has loved me and who has enjoyed my mentorship, you go do something with it. You go honor me now. You go do the things that you're capable of because I never knew what I was capable of. Of people like JP, Gene Bra, Paul Mitchell, they seen in me what I was capable of long before I did. So I'm telling you right now, the industry's wide open. I can't wait to see tomorrow's superstars. I plan to stick around just to keep a, an eye on it. What's the best advice anybody's ever given you um, that would be relevant to the audience and, and, and why you think it's important? I did give gave you one a few years ago with Irvin, who was a good friend of mine. When I told him I opened my first salon, he said, not everybody should be a salon owner. And it made no sense at the time, but it sure did later. So I look at um, that being pretty good advice, but I think probably the advice that I really got earlier was when I was in beauty school, one of my teachers had a, a definite way about her. Um, she had style. She'd been around a little bit, even though I was going to school in Memphis, Tennessee. She sort of knew better. And she actually told me I should move. And she said I, I should move to New York and I should work for Bumble and Bumble. This is quite funny, right? Now, I never really sort of seen the Bumble Bumble angle, but around the same time I got exposed to Paul Mitchell. So my mind went to California to get closer to Paul. But regardless, the statement had been made like, you're too good for this. You ought to move. So that would probably be the greatest advice because I had nothing holding me down and I had no fear of moving. And I tell this to kids all the time that move across the country to work for me. You can always go home, you can always go back and I can never take back the knowledge you got. So you know, it's easy to jump on a plane, an automobile, a, you know, a train. These days, we're not so limited. So having the courage to move. People say to me all the time, I want to be so, so successful, but I live in a small town. We'll, we'll move. <laughs> if it's truly your dream, if it's not, you know, nothing wrong with a small town. So some of what I take from that is, again, we're back to self-awareness and know yourself and know what you want from your life and, you know, know where you want to be. But also a little bit of, of be fearless. You know, you got to have, oh... It's like poker face. You got to just put yourself in harm's way quite constantly. I've sort of faked my way in, and I can't think MD ever did it without faking it. Only a few. Uh, that you had to take a chance with saying, I could push a little harder and get here. And I think that's the part. You're giving it, you know, the, the regret at the end of not trying. Uh, kids come to me at school, I'm going to come work for you, but they never really do it. Uh, I'm just saying what you want to do is put yourself at least in a bit of harm's way. Do you know how to do that? Oh, yeah, I do. Here we go. I better learn it real quick. Uh, you better get yourself in a place where you can be stretched. So, you know, not saying anything to any opportunity. It's not always about the dollar bills, um, you know, getting to do things. You know, I show up in places. I'm not always playing for day rate. Um, and in the early days, the last thing on my mind was money. Uh, if the fact I did it probably six weeks of my first tour with Gene Gordon. 
And she just asked me to come on the road with her. I was delighted. I worked in her salon. I couldn't believe my luck, really. I get to go on an airplane. And then about four months later, I got a paycheck for $1,800. $1, and I nearly fell off my chair. Like, you're going to pay me too? You're shitting me. So it's And you a, showed up. It started by you showing up. I mean, well, you, that's it. You got to go there. And, you know, it's not what, what I can give you right away. You got to put your time in. And if you really want something, the money will come. I think the one of the most famous hairdressers in Brazil was poor, and he wanted to be a famous hairdresser, so he just did poor people's hair all day until he got so good that he became the number one. Nothing's in your way unless you choose to see it that way. And uh, if I was to narrow down my one trait that really is quite remarkable that maybe people see or don't see, I'm by nature a problem solver. I just look at what's the problem. You know, audience is sleeping. What's the problem? Let's make them laugh. Uh, what's the problem? We're not selling take-home. Let's look at the problem and find a way. Uh, too many people dwell on just finding the problem. I'm not that guy. Find me the problem and I'll show you a way around it. Sometimes it's words. Sometimes it's just different ways of looking at it. Um, as nature kind of helps me, that helps me in most avenues. I look at sight lines on stage. I look at where chairs are. And I'm just able to solution it all into an actionable. And I think that's what people need to focus on. Uh, the, the healthy outcome, we call it sometimes. Um, you know, too many people talk to themselves in the wrong way. Let's look at what would get me more successful, being a work on time. What would make me more clients, talking to strangers on elevators. You know, self-motivation, unfortunately, is what this business will come down to. You're not going to find many salons that will do all the work for you. Even in my biggest store, uh, I can only do 50% of the work. You've got to bring in that reputation. You've got to do some hustle. And just being good isn't good enough. Uh, you've got to be remarkable with clients' names and everything else. It's got to be uh, a social part. We are the original social network, Gordon, I think. I agree. Uh, I think that's the great part is I can start conversations with strangers. I can go pretty much anywhere in the world with my credentials and start up a conversation. Pilots come out the plane to meet and congratulate me. Uh, it's just a beautiful thing when you can create such a reaction all because of what we do. It, it also makes us so good at social media. It makes the hairdresser, the hairdresser, I think, is the most natural person to succeed on social because it is social and you are all so innately social. Uh, watching my girl with a group of women that she's never met and watching her go through that, she's just so good with people, strangers, situations that would just absolutely intimidate somebody but she's always got a conversation to make and can always relate to them and our clients give us such an education too without the client we're nothing so you know just having that ability and a lot of my friends in the session world that do heavy editorial they miss the kind of team aspect they miss the big groups of it they miss the push from the others they're just pushed by the pressure of perhaps doing Gwen's hair. That's a big pressure. But being part of a team is something I think that hairdressers are always going to need, independent or not. Like our church, I think there's always been a necessity for hairdressers to get together, partly because you just want to see what one another are wearing. But the reality is we love to be seen. We love to be seen in our peers. And people say, oh, you, you must be a lot of fun. I'm mostly a lot of fun around, around my people. Absolutely, mostly. And to me, being around that, I think it's just the, the thing that every hairdresser is going to need. So the future of hair shows, I think there's changes happening, but I still think we're going to want to get together. And I think that's a big part of the industry is that community as a whole and not getting stuck in isolated islands. Uh, celebrate the whole beauty, beauty industry inclusively. 
craftsman, unicorn hair, you, you know, I don't care, rainbow hair, I don't really care. It's not for any of us to pick one or another. Celebrate each and every one that celebrated with us to get a license to be in this beautiful business. And let's honor every guest in the world by giving them the utmost experience when they come see any one of us. Uh, that's all I wish. Are you in love with your hairdresser? I want every client in the world to answer, yay, hey. And unfortunately, I'll tell you, people tell me every day they're not. And that is just not fair for a beauty industry. Our job is to create magic, hearts and souls, and, you know, just make love happen. Pay attention to your client, please. That'll make the biggest difference in the whole world. That's that's brilliant advice. So let, let me get to my last question. I ask everybody this and a little bit about what inspires you. What are you, what are you reading, listening to, viewing, or, or even obsessing about today that you might recommend to others? So one guy that drives me crazy on the internet, he happens to be Japanese. So it's almost like me and Takashi had an offspring. His name is Ryoji Maizimi. And uh, he's got a good couple of hundred thousand followers, does a lot of editorial. The guy cuts a wig like nobody cuts hair with just unbelievable force. He puts Legos in the hair. He's got a dream job. It is definitely a lifestyle. Uh, he made a few of my friends want to stop doing hair. He's that good. And that's what I love about, you know, the inspiration on it. Uh, and as I say, I kind of tend to be a little more visual artist looking for it. Words I'm listening to, but also kind of looking at tag on billboards, copy on the front of a magazine. Uh, there's lots of ways to do that. I'm not a real reader uh, from a typical point. It's not how I get my information. So it kind of works a little different for me, which comes in handy because a lot of my industry folks are not natural readers either. They tend to get a little more of the visual art. So, you know, that's where the words can be so critical. But I like to watch comedians. Uh, I love how phraseology can work. Here's one you wouldn't expect. Pat Sajak. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> last, last night, last night, somebody said something to him that wasn't complimentary. And he said to Van Away, I know there's a compliment in there somewhere. I'm going to send out a search party to go look for it. <laughs> now, it doesn't sound funny when Pat says it, but when I find a way where somebody gives me one of those slight compliments, like here's an example, I'm at a show. I do the opening of the show, I'll gear it up. And at the end, well, I, I'm not on for three more hours. I go to the coffee shop, I have no hat on. And this girl come up to me and said, don't be offended, but you look like Robert Crummings. So that's where you would say, I know there's a compliment in there somewhere. I'm going to send out a search party to find it. Thank you, Pat Sajak. So comedians have timing. It goes back to the algorithm of laughter. So I do watch a lot of comedians and look at just the timing of it and the way it's delivered. Jimmy Fallon's a great resource. He's very in the moment, very kind of hip. And the humor is very relevant to today. Uh, but the timing of comedians is always you know, very, very helpful. Uh, I used to be huge on YouTube, not so much right now. Um, I kind of go in more specific directions of who I follow on Instagram. So I follow Nick Knight, who's a big influence of mine. Uh, my hat wearer, Philip Tracy, um, just a lot of great things and a lot of beautiful hairdressers. Uh, Danilo, who I love, love, love. But, you know, I keep an eye on all the fashion houses. So it just comes to me. You don't have to look so hard. You've kind of selected your content and everything that sort of tickles me and moves me comes to me on an almost daily basis. So, as I say, not a reader or a writer. And until you know, I remember starting to write on Facebook and people were giving me grief over my punctuation and lack of you know ability there. And over time, I got better at it. But still, I got to check things five times and I still make mistakes. But if you look back at the early putting it out there, there was no grammar applied to this whatsoever. And through technology, I'm happy to say I'm using more and more. I'm reading and writing more and 
you know, being uh, using words that I would never use before. So it's quite a fun thing. And, you know, you talked about the new user. We know who they are. But for the older people out there, people that I know that you've kind of grown up with me, this is not an age thing. This is you owe it to yourself. One of my team, I nudged into it and said, I want you to get on Instagram, not because I want you to post. I want you to have access to what I'm seeing because you're that good. You're that good. You have such an eye. You've got such ability. It's a shame if you're not getting turned on like I am. So it's not just for the obvious reasons. You you want to get stimulated. It's not always a motivational seminar that comes to visit. Start just researching out the types of things and you'll get fascinated with things and start to get a little more uh, embodiment of what really is going on there. So you're never intimidated by anything. You can always see what's going on in, in, the, in the, the viewpoint of the internet. So get out there, get on it and start posting stuff. One of our clients for 24 years, Mary's doing her hair now. She ring-lighted her, said, I'm going to put it on Instagram. Her name is Janice. She says, I'm going to go home and join Instagram just to see her picture on Mary's page. And she's probably going to tell five of her girlfriends to check out Mary's page because her picture's on it. That's called networking. Uh, we need to get use technology no matter what. I don't care what age you are. Uh, you got to use it. It's not a choice. Uh, don't be a taxi driver and an Uber generation. We're going to wrap up and I'm, I'm going to thank you so much, Robert, for taking the time. You're one of the busiest people in the industry. You're one of the most giving people in the industry. I, I, I continue to believe you're one of the smartest people in the industry. As we wrap up, Robert, I, I want to ask you where people can find you, but I know that you have a partner in crime, your fiance, who's there in the room with you, uh, Mary Cuomo. And I, I wonder if we could ask Mary to kind of step in and, and join in on the microphone and uh, just Hi, Gordon. Yeah, hey, we Mary. Are, we to travel the world all over the world. So tell them how they can get a hold of us, honey. All right. Well, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is Robert Cromines. His emails are C at robertcromines.com. So if there's any business questions, salon questions, anything like that you want to ask, RC at robertcromines.com. And then on Instagram, he also has a business page called Row Business Chromines. It's R-O-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S Chromines. I love it. I love that we got to get you in. I know you've been there the whole time. Um, we started, you and I kind of setting up the technology. You know, you're, you're Robert's best support system. So thank you for being there. And thank you for stepping in and, and sharing all those details that I think Robert <laughs> may have struggled a little bit with. Yeah, I struggle with things. I'm a genius, slightly damaged genius. So you kind of great at things. Some stuff has to go. And, you're perfect. Uh, but I'm good at a lot of other things. I'm great at cooking. I'm great at being a fiance. Yep. I love it all. So Mary, thank you for being with us. Robert Cromines, Global Artistic and Business Director for John Paul Mitchell Systems. Thank you for being on the American Salons Podcast. Thanks, Gordon. Thank you, Gordon. And we'll be back next week with another American Salon Stories podcast. In the meantime, we hope you'll follow us on Instagram, where we are known as at American underscore salon, also at facebook.com forward slash American Salon. That's all one word. And of course, on americansalon.com, where you can also subscribe to our free newsletter, Your Daily Beauty Fix. This is American Salon publisher Gordon Miller, and I can't wait to bring you more American Salon Stories next week. Music.